as we're coming near to wrapping up our time talking about the coming of God's kingdom, this future aspect to it, I want to drill down into one particular aspect of it. It's an aspect that I get more questions about, one that I find there to be more confusion about, uncertainty with, and uh, fear in the presence of. And this topic is Judgment Day. We've, we've heard about Judgment Day. We, we have these ideas about Judgment Day. There's been novelizations and, and theatrical releases and everything else about what it looks like. And, and there's so much confusion and misinterpretation around this that, that what I want to do is try to kind of cut through the ice a little bit today to, to focus on what it is and maybe what it isn't and why it's fundamentally a good thing, but what it means for each of us, Christian or not, to live in light of it, I, I got to be honest with you, there's, there's been a lot of burden as I've been trying to tighten this up this week. It's, it's a topic I'm interested in, one that I love and one that I've even considered doing further doctoral work on, but, but something has been just kind of emotionally heavy with this talk I'm going to give with you today. And, and as I've been processing this with with various staff and other people. I just want to share with you something that one of our staff members sent to me, um, our worship director, Steve. Let me just read this. He says, first, I don't envy you for having to give this message. However, thank you for doing so and not just looking at it at a surface level. My experience in the past with several pastors is that you get several different answers. Sadly, their explanations seem to try and justify certain behaviors. The point being is that if it is so easily distorted in that arena, think how bad it could get without any guidance. In my opinion, and it's just that, there are so many things that can get distorted, confusing, and plenty of room for misinterpretation. This is why I love Proverbs 3, verse 3 to 6. If you're unfamiliar with that passage, by the way, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Man, if we lived all of life with that sense of humility and reliance on God, all of the things that we talk about in relation to God, all of the things that we approach with such certainty in our worldview and life around, if, if we would remember maybe that at the bedrock, we always have to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, that there's so much about God and his ways and what he's up to that we won't understand, but he invites us to see him as good, and he invites us to trust him in that, that not only he is good, but what he does is good. And I think if we start there, it sets us at least on the right trajectory for talking about Judgment Day. So last week, I shared with you this underrated line that comes out of the Apostles' Creed. And, and I want to repeat this for you today. Let me show it to you. And it says this. You remember this? Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God and then this weird little line at the end, from thence he will come to judge the living 
and the dead. He rose, he sat down, or he ascended and sat down, and from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's been this hallmark idea within, within Christianity since the time of the apostolic era that the one who died for our sins is the very one who will judge us in our sins. That the very one who loves us so much as to do everything in his power to see that we do not face destruction or terror or wrath or punishment or all these things that we associate with judgment day. The very one who did that is the very one in whose hands we find our lives and our souls. And to me, that is incredibly comforting. Good news. Let me unpack this line just a little bit. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. Do you use the word thence that much? right, out of this? What does it mean? From then and there, he ascended, he seated, and from then and there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Or maybe put another way, thens can be thought of as like as a result or a consequence. He ascended and he is seated and as a result or consequence of the authority and position on the throne that God has given Christ, he will come, Christ, to judge the living and the dead. Some of you might remember this a little bit old school. You remember the old phraseologies of this if you grew up in church world, particularly in older liturgical traditions, from thence he will come to judge the quick and the dead. It sounds like a Western to me, but I kind of love that line, he will come to judge the quick and the dead. The quick apparently being people who can move and dead, being people who don't move that quickly at all. But however you talk about this, or however you've learned this, or however you've memorized this, or are accessing it today, the meaning is the same. Christ has ascended. He's ascended to the throne room of heaven, and from there he has taken his seat on the throne. And as king, with authority by God himself, to bring God's justice and righteousness to this world. And that, that right there, is what the word judgment means. See, I think we have this connotation behind it that it's all about an angry God who's keeping a list of our sins and, and, and eager to come and punish or something like that, that judgment equals punishment. Or maybe it's something like this. It's, it's the image you get of some very self-righteous individual who's filled with contempt, who loves nothing more than to critique all of your mistakes, all of your errors, and all of the ways that you could have done it better. But see, judgment for God is something very different instead because fundamentally, judgment is about setting wrong things right. It's about correcting a situation so that it is right again. And the judgment of God is far less concerned with meeting punishment out on people than it is looking at people who are suffering Suffering under the enemies of sin and death. And God going, this isn't right. This isn't right in coming to make it right again. So many of us fear 
judgment day. We fear the idea of a judging God. But if you have ever cried out in your heart, why God? Or if you've ever looked at something and went, this is not the way it's supposed to be. If you've ever found yourself bothered or disturbed or angry about the way people are hurting and suffering as a result of those things in this world that just aren't right, you, in fact, want God to judge. Without realizing it, you are yearning for judgment day. And the biblical authors, both Old and New Testament, if you read them, often struggling under the the oppression and tyranny of sin and death. Those who were facing things that just weren't right, oh, they looked forward to this day. This day that was to come when God would return, when God would visit his people, when God would finally set all things right. And they looked forward to this day, yearning for it. I love how Psalm 6 puts it. My soul is in anguish, it says. How long, O Lord, how long? The simple line, have you prayed it? With those words, or maybe just with groans that words cannot express, how long, O Lord? If so, you stand in a stream of prophets and apostles who have gone before you looking forward with hope and endurance and patience to a day when God, God would come again. Oh, if we see it right, that judgment day would come. But right now we don't see a lot of that, do we? Oh, some to be sure. But often it seems as though that which is wrong is allowed to continue. That those who do harm and wrong come out ahead as a result. It's, it's, it's led many people in the wake of the victimization and tyranny of sin and death to question the very goodness of God. Maybe it has for you as well. People wondering things. God, do you, do you care? God, are you even paying attention? God, are you even just? God, Do you even exist? Do you even exist in such a way and as such a person as is described in Christianity? It's become one of the biggest stumbling blocks. Maybe I'm speaking to you today. One of the biggest struggles, if you will, to people coming to terms with God. Why does he allow this? Why Why does it go on? If you're real, you would do something, Lord. This is the cry of the prophets, but with hope in them, looking forward. Because for them, there was a different answer, a different reason about why judgment is delayed. Because when they saw God in light of the suffering and evil and hurt and tyranny of this world, 
They didn't relegate it to the fact that this God didn't exist or that he wasn't just or that he wasn't good. Though, of course, they certainly struggled internally with those things at time. No, they approached it in a different way and saw a different answer instead. That God is patient. That God is fundamentally patient. Let me show you this passage this morning. I love this, and it's worth your time to read out of 2 Peter chapter 3. Read the whole chapter in your time. Soak on it today or this week. You could see the lines on the screen, but I want to preface it by one other phrase so it doesn't escape us. Look at what it says. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. All my life I've heard this passage applied to trying to understand Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And removed from the context of a different topic, Peter wants to talk about instead facing the struggles of this world while we wait. He says, understand this, friends, for the Lord a day is like a thousand and a thousand years is like a day. But the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, at least as some understand slowness. God, it seems, has his own definition and timeline. And here's this line, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Step back and think about that for a moment. What is it saying? It is saying that God doesn't want to judge anyone. Or maybe better put, God does not want to punish anyone. God doesn't want to punish anyone. God is not a God who delights in meeting out punishment to people, giving them what they deserve. This isn't the spirit of God at all. And if this is your understanding of God, may I just challenge you that your understanding of God is not the biblical one. No matter what you think about this Old Testament God of wrath, no matter what you think about how God would punish people here and there, if these isolated instances have created the entire picture for you of who God is, you simply have not soaked in the biblical text. No, the picture of God is a God who's merciful, a God who's kind, a God who loves his creation and doesn't just put up with them. A God who is infinitely patient, not wanting anyone to perish, giving every opportunity, calling out in every conceivable way, waiting, waiting with a heart that struggles, I think, beyond the weight and struggle of our hearts. For those who may 
deserve his punishment to change, to turn, to throw themselves on his mercy, to come to their senses and find his grace and goodness instead. God does not want to punish you. God does not want to punish you. He does not want to punish your spouse. He does not want to punish your children. He does not want to punish your friends. He does not want to punish your girlfriend or your boyfriend. He doesn't want to punish those people in that tribe who have never heard. He doesn't want to punish those people you work with who aren't Christian. He doesn't want to punish those people that you see on the street. He doesn't want to punish anyone at all. And it's not just the people you like that he doesn't want to punish. He doesn't want to punish the people you don't like either. He doesn't want to punish that person who makes you mad. He doesn't want to punish that guy who just ticked you off. He doesn't want to punish that person who hurt you, who scarred you. He doesn't want to punish that person who's wreaked havoc in this world. No, he doesn't want to punish anyone. What does it say? He is patient. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. If Jesus is the image of God, we should learn something from the fact that Jesus spent his time among sinners. And he spent his time among them, not because it was the project as we tend to think of people as our projects today, but because he loved them. And, and he, he did more than love them. He liked them too. It got him a bad reputation. He was known as the friend of sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Yes, these are the people whom God loves. These are not people whom God wants to judge. And this is grace this is what grace means. And to be sure, it's scandalous that the people you and I would be so quickly inclined to punish in this world, God is patient with. Because he loves them as much as he loves you and me. But herein lies the issue, because God is still just. And despite his patience, if God is good, he will bring justice. And for that reason, all of us, yes, all of us, will one day have to stand account. This is what we often talk about as judgment day, that future day that the prophets look forward to when God comes to right all things again and when we stand before him giving account, giving account for ourselves and all of this. Look at how 
Paul will write about this in Romans chapter 2. He says, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek, and doing good work seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. It's, it's absolutely sobering, isn't it? And for a lot of us who call ourselves Christian, it might be kind of raising up an internal kind of just imbalance right now, a sense of disconcertedness or questioning because, wait a minute, I thought we were saved by grace. I thought we were saved by virtue of the fact that Jesus died for our sins. This sounds very works righteous, if you will, to me, and yet this comes from the very same person and the very same letter where the strongest statements of the gospel and salvation by grace through faith are uttered. Each of us will stand before God someday and give account. Give account for what we have done. Give account for the ways that we have been persistent, seeking his glory and honor and doing what's right in this world and giving account. Giving account for the ways that we have contributed to the tyranny and oppression of sin and evil. It's frightening. It's frightening to think we'll stand before God someday. But God says this is right. And this is good because this is just. And I think in some way all of us deep down sense that it is. But to circle back, to know that on that day we find ourselves in the hands and the hands of a judge who has died for us. Because that's whose hands we are in. Because Jesus did die for us. He died for us to pay for any punishment. Any punishment that we should get on judgment day. He died for us. So that justice would be served. He died for us so God could set wrong things to right. Overthrowing the enemies of sin and death. That plague and tyrannize the people of this world. No, God sent his son Jesus to set wrong things right again. And the way that the biblical writers talk about this is almost as though it is judgment day breaking in ahead of time. Too soon, 
if you will, giving us maybe a preview or a coming attraction of what's to come and through it, offering forgiveness and grace and salvation to us all. I've seen Christians so often misunderstand and confuse what judgment day will be. I've heard it put this way. Maybe you fall trapped to thinking like this as well. Well, on that day, God will come to condemn non-Christians. But Christians, because of Jesus, will get off scot-free. It's not the right way of saying things. It's starting from the wrong platform and taking you in the wrong way. No, all of us, Christian and non-Christian, will stand before God and give account on Judgment Day. But there, God offers, God offers his grace and salvation to everyone deserving condemnation in his son, Jesus. It's what the future will bring and what it means for those of us now who find ourselves in Christ is almost similar to being out on bond before the final court hearing. If Judgment Day would represent the time when we have to have our day in court before God the judge, now we live with Jesus having spoken for us and releasing us on his recognizance. Releasing us out to be fundamentally free so that when judgment days approaches, all we have before us is life and eternity. It means when we stand on that day, we stand before God with our lives laid bare. Peter will put it this way. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? The kind of people who stand before God now and in eternity. Saying, Lord, yes. I deserve whatever you give to me. Whatever punishment, whatever consequence, I did that, Lord. Yes, Lord, I did that and I'm ashamed. Yes, Lord, I was not concerned with. Yes, Lord, that's true of me. A kind of people, not self-deluded in our own goodness, but a people humble and honest before the God of eternity. And on that day, in Jesus we have an advocate willing to stand by anyone's side to say the price has been paid. Welcome to forgiveness and mercy and life forever 
with me in eternity. Oh, that we would live in light of judgment day. That it would dictate and guide the decisions we make, what we prioritize, and how we think about God in this time and in the time to come. I want to close this off with one more quote. It's also from Steve. I love how he put this. For me, I do not fear this day. I will be held accountable and finally will be able to be face to face with the final authority. I think about the sense of relief that there will be, that all of my sins will be out and accounted for. Nothing I need to hide from. Sin that the devil can no longer use against me. Even ones I didn't even know about. However, that will probably be overshadowed by the love that is presented and given. I know what he has done for me. That he loves me and wants to be with me eternally. So I will live now, or I will now live to serve him and fail along the way. In doing so, but knowing I'm in the best judge's hands of all. Our band is going to come back up. I'd like to pray. And I'd like to start by taking account of our own selves before God, an honest assessment this morning. Maybe you've never done this before. You've been afraid to be honest with God. Let me assure you, God knows what's in your heart. You can't hide from him. But more importantly, you don't need to. Because he loves you as you are. He loves you despite what you think makes you unlovable before him. You can be honest with him today to those of you who are Christian and practicing ones and for whom this this spiritual practice of confession has become regular and routine I want to encourage you now to not approach your confession before God is dotting some I's and crossing some T's. It's easy to think, oh, I'm covered. He died for me. Who cares? No. No, you're missing what the Bible has to say. It matters immensely. Never hold the grace of God lightly or the forgiveness Jesus has won for you. Come to him today. 
and true humility and repentance. Not just saying the words, but really, Lord, I'm broken on this. And if I'm not, break me. Let's come to him. God, we pray. We pray that every time we start to fear you, well, that that fear is healthy and good because you are just and you will do what is right. But in it, God, we see that you are good and your desire to bless, to show mercy overshadows all. Forgive us. Right now, we lay it before you. Here, God, the thing we've been burdened with, the thing we're struggling with, the thing that we hate about ourselves, the thing that we love and yet won't let go of. Some of the very things that we know aren't right but that have come to define us become the fiber of who we are. Here they are. We confess them to you today. to the day, oh God. The day when you'll come and return. May we want you to set wrong things right and know that on that day when we stand before you, a judge filled with love and mercy and grace, you died for our sins and to defeat sin and the devil may it define us and mark us. May it move us to be the kind of people you want us to be. Lord, we pray. We pray in your name. Amen. May you go in his grace. May you go in his mercy. May you be marked in his peace. May his love surround you. May his call draw you in. May you come to him in repentance. Trust in him.